Well, I want to say good morning. Appreciate you being here today. Beautiful, beautiful day outside. Fall's going to hit tomorrow, and it's going to be a great, great time, and I'm really glad that you're here. I want to welcome all of those who are watching online and those who are watching from our Mill Creek campus. Today, I'm teaching from our Sugarloaf campus. We are one church in two locations, and we have um, a campus about 20 minutes to our north. And so wherever you are, wherever you live, I hope you'll kind of check out one of our campuses and be with us because there's nothing like being there live. Now, as a general rule, I don't like game shows. As a matter of fact, I kind of think you can gauge whether or not you're growing old by whether or not you like game shows, okay? And I, I'm just not a real fan of game shows, but there is one game show that I won't admit that I, I love to watch. In fact, I really do think for a number of reasons it's the greatest game show that's ever been invented. Matter of, so, I, in fact, we're, we're going to play it right now. And, and you'll be able to guess which one it is, because I really do believe this is one game show that just has a, a purpose to it, and, it and, and, and I really like it. So here's, here's what we're going to play, okay? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the answer, and you have to give me your response in the form of a question. Now, all kinds of categories I could have chosen, but I decided to choose this one. The category today is chewing gum. Okay, that's the category. You ready? The answer is a uh, 4, 14, and 34, the approximate difference in calories between sticks of regular and sugar-free gum. All right? You have 10 seconds to answer the question. Go. Now, you have to give the answer in the form of a question. So, I just yell out. So, what? So, give me the answer. What is? Nope. What is? Nope. The answer is, what is four? Don't ever play Jeopardy. Just come to church. You're not going to do it. All right. Now, look. See, the part of that show that I love, and the reason I love it is the educational part. You learn things. The part that I hate is one time when I'm watching the game so often, the, the answer stumps me. And, and I just can't formulate the question. That's what blows my mind. How they think of the answer so quick and make it in the form of a question just really blows my mind. And I got to thinking the, the other day, I was watching it not too long ago, and there are a number of questions about life in general that just leave me stumped. And I don't have a clue what the answer to these questions are, and I'm going to throw them up on the screen, and, and maybe some of you can help me with these, because I'm just, when I ask these questions to myself, I'm just stumped. Here, here's an example. If someone with multiple personalities threatens to kill himself, would it be considered a hostage situation? <laughs> that, that stumps me. Why is a person who plays a piano called a pianist, but a person who races cars not called a racist? I don't understand that. If a hen and a half could lay an egg and a half, how long would it take a monkey with a wooden leg to kick all the seeds out of a dill pickle? Stumped. Don't know. If your car says Dodge on the front of it, do you really need a horn? Stumped. If you are a kleptomaniac, is there something you can take for it? If you try to fail and succeed, which have you done? Stumps me. Why is it considered necessary to nail down the lid of a coffin? You ever notice that in funeral homes do that? I don't know. Why doesn't glue stick to the inside of the bottle? 
stump. Why don't you ever see the headline, Psychic Wins Lottery? Stump. If a rabbit's foot is so lucky, what happened to the rabbit? Stump. If Superman is so smart, why does he wear his underwear over his uniform? Never figured that one out. Don't, don't get that one, okay? Why do we sing, take me out to the ball game when we're already there? That's stumped. If nothing ever sticks to Teflon, how do they make Teflon stick to the pan? Don't know. Here's the last one. Why is the meaning of life hard to find when you have a dictionary? Now, I saved that question for last. Because that actually is one of the questions that we're going to delve into in this series that we're calling Stumped. Because there are four huge, and I believe the most important questions that the human race has ever asked since the beginning of human history. And simply put, these questions can be put into four words. Who, why, what, and where. Everybody at one time or another, it doesn't matter whether you believe in God or not. It doesn't matter whether you're a Westerner or an Easterner. Doesn't matter if you're conservative or liberal. Doesn't matter if you're a capitalist or a socialist. Professors and philosophers and scientists and surgeons and presidents and plumbers have all thought about these questions. For example, who am I? And how did I get here? Why am I here? What is right and wrong? And how should I live? And where do I go after I die? You can turn to a lot of places and try to find answers to those questions. But like billions of other people that live on this planet, I believe the best place to find those answers is in a book called the Bible. I believe the best answer, in fact, I think the only correct answers to those questions are found in what I call the Word of God. And hopefully beginning today, you're going to see why we believe that, why I believe that, because in God's Word, we're going to find the solution to some of the most profound, perplexing, complex, far-reaching questions the human race has ever seen. And by the way, this series is really going to be huge and very important for teenagers, for high schoolers, for college students. So if you've got uh, teenagers in your home or you've got grandchildren who are, are in high school about to go to college, this would be a great, great series for you not only to take notes on and to kind of get familiar with, it'd be a great series to expose them to because when we understand who we are, when we understand why we're here, when, we're, uh, when we understand what standards should I live my life by, and when we understand where we're going after we die, only then can we no longer be stumped by our past, by our present, and by our future. So today we're going to begin with the fundamental question, which is, who am I and how did I get here? Who am I and how did I get here? Now, even though that's a very, very deep question, let me tell you, tell you, tell you some kind of good news, okay? I know some of you may think, man, that's just too deep for me. I'm just not into philosophy. I'm just not that smart to figure it all out. Let me tell you some good news. Even though it's a very big and a very deep question, there really can only be two answers. I mean, it's really simple. Only two answers. Either God purposely made us to be here, or we just accidentally made it here. It's real simple. One of those two things, there can't be a third option. Either God purposely made us to be here, or we just accidentally 
made it here. So as we ask the question, okay, who am I and how did I get here? If you think about it, we're really begging an even bigger question. Because the bigger question is not just how did I get here. The bigger question is how did any of us get here? And the bigger question is how did the world get here? How did the universe get here? How did the stars and the planets, how did anything ever arrive? How did it all get here? Well, as you think about that and kind of run that over your mind, I, I would just like to ask you to consider 10 simple words. They are the most famous and well-known 10 words ever uttered in the English language. They are the first words found in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. You probably all know them by heart, but we'll put them up here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, let me just, let's just assume something. Let's just assume those words are true. Now, we don't have to agree on all the details. Young earth, old earth, seven literal days, seven days. We don't, I'm not getting into all that. Okay, that, that's kind of a, 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 a totally different discussion. But let's just assume that however it happened, that's what happened. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If those words are true, we don't yet have the answer to our question, but this statement starts to move us in the right direction. Because if you look back over the course of time, this is kind of fascinating. The only words ever written down on a piece of paper that claim to give us the record of who we are and how we got here is found in this book called the Bible. And this is where we find what God says, what God's Word says about the answer to that question. And it tells us basically in this first chapter three very simple things. You can maybe jot these down if you're taking notes. Number one, according to God's Word, we live in a world created by God. We live in a world created by God. Now, basically, again, think about it. Think about all that's out there. When you walk out the door today and you see the sun and the clouds and you see the sky and you see the universe and you see the trees and you see the animals and you see people, one of two things has to be true. Either stuff happens or this happened. In the beginning, God created. Now, let me just stop right there. In my opinion, if those first five words are true, then we're not here by evolutionary chance. We're here by divine choice. If those five words are true, we didn't just happen. When did all this come about? In the beginning. Who brought all this about? God. How was all this brought about? Created. And then the rest of the Bible after, after this verse, verse tells us why it all is here. Now, I don't want to just throw that out there and ask you just to accept it by blind faith. So let me just give you several reasons why I believe that statement best fits the facts, not just philosophically, but also scientifically. And just, just kind of hang with me now. We're going to kind of build a trail here. First of all, science and cosmology now admit matter is not eternal. There's no scientist in the world that says this universe has always existed. Now there is a common consensus in the scientific world that somewhere, some way in the distant past or in the near past, or whatever you believe, this universe began at a finite period of time. Now I don't want to expect you to take my word for it. Probably the most eminent scientist that we know of today is the brilliant scientist by the name of Stephen Hawking. Many of you have heard of Stephen Hawking. Probably considered one of the foremost, if not the most foremost scientists of our day. Stephen Hawking, who's not even a believer in God, he said this. 
He said, all the evidence seems to indicate that the universe has not existed forever, but that it had a beginning. Scientists believe this started with what's called the Big Bang, all right? So we now know, scientists now say, look, we, we get it, we understand. What, whatever you can see, whatever you can feel, whatever you can touch has not always been here. It somehow began in a finite period of time. Well, that's a big admission because that leads now to the second conclusion that scientists universally have to admit. That is, whatever has a beginning has a cause. If something began, something caused it to begin. So now that we believe that the scientists, that, that the universe not only had a beginning, it therefore had a cause. Again, don't take my word for it. I think you've heard of a scientist named Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein said this. He said the scientist is possessed by a sense of universal causation. In other words, Albert Einstein said, if you're a scientist, you just know both in your head and your heart Everything had a cause to it. Everything had a beginning. Nothing just kind of started up on its own. There's this sense of universal causation. Now, let me just stop right there. To be clear, that doesn't prove that God's the one that did it. Okay, I can't make that leap and you can't either. I'm just simply saying that scientists now say, okay, number one, we know everything had a beginning. We know that every beginning has a cause. Well, that leads to the third truth that scientists now accept. And that is, there are some unbelievably what they call staggering coincidences that make the universe fit for life. Now, let me tell you what I mean. And I don't want to get too deep here. Just kind of hang with me. Astrophysicists will now tell you that there are four fundamental values that make life possible. They are gravity, the electromagnetic magnetic force, strong nuclear forces, and weak nuclear forces. They now believe that all of those forces came into being and they were determined less than one millionth of a second after the Big Bang. You say, why is that such a big deal? If you alter any one of those values in the, it just in the least, the universe would not exist. So let me put it to you this way. I'll, I'll put this on the screen. This will kind of give you an idea. If you were to take those forces and the ratio between those forces, if the ratio between any one of those four forces I just mentioned had been off by even one part, and this is the number, that is 100 quadrillion. If the ratio between gravity and the nuclear forces and the, the electromagnetic force, if those ratios were off by even that much, one part in 100 quadrillion, no stars would have ever been formed and there would be no universe. But there's more. Because scientists now have not just gone to the big picture and seen what it took for the universe to take place. They've kind of brought it down to where we live on this planet. And they have discovered that the fine-tuning necessary for life to exist on this planet is incredible. Today, there are now 200 known parameters necessary for a planet to support life. 200. Every single one must be absolutely perfectly met or everything falls apart. So the point is, the odds against there being a universe, the odds against there being planet Earth, the odds against there being a planet with life are astronomical. I love the way the noted science, scientist Francis Crick, who discovered DNA, he put it this way. I love the way he says it. He says, when you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. It looks as if it knew we were coming. So scientists say, okay, 
They hadn't always been here, had a beginning. Every beginning has a cause. What is here is here by these incredibly strange coincidences that all have to fit together. And now the fourth thing that scientists are now admitted is that never has life ever arisen spontaneously by natural random forces. In other words, everything has never come from nothing. And nothing points to the fact that it can. Life has all the markers of being created by some intelligent agent or controlling and directing and manipulating the entire process. And by the way, nothing has given more force to this argument than what I mentioned a minute ago about the, the just DNA, just the complexity of our body, just the complexity of the human cell, just the complexity of the molecules that make up our body, our DNA. They are so, so unbelievably complex. They're saying there's no way that just spontaneously happened. They no longer believe in what's called spontaneous generation. In other words, scientists now say, look, we get it. Only life produces life. Now, here's what I'm telling you. Let's follow the crumbs. Had a beginning. The beginning had a cause. What came out of this cause is so incredibly complex, and everything has to work together in su such a meticulous way that when you follow the trail, it all leads back to Genesis chapter 1. I get it. Now it makes sense. In the beginning, God created he was the beginning. He was the first cause. He put it all together. He put it all together in such a way that it fits, and he put it all together in such a way that it fits that human life is even possible. So I believe that God, who is eternal life, has given us earthly life on a planet that he personally created to sustain life. In fact, let me just put it to you this way. Can I tell you why I believe in those first five words? Just be honest. I just don't have enough faith to believe in the alternative. I'm just being honest. And you can sit there and believe all you want to an evolutionary chance that it all just happened. We're going to deal with that in just a moment, by the way. You can, I just don't, and by the way, if you believe that, please see me after the service. I, I want to give you a trophy. You got more faith than I've got. <clears throat> to believe that everything came from nothing, everything just happened, and oh, by the way, it just happened in such a perfect way that I'm even able to breathe. You've just got more faith than I've got. So you've got two options before you, real, real simple. Either a dead God is the creation of humanity or a living God is the creator of humanity. Either God is a figment of our imagination or we are the fruit of God's creation. The truth of the matter is, if you're dead level honest, philosophical roads and scientific roads lead back, in my estimation, to Genesis 1 and lead back to the God of the Bible. We live in a world created by God. That's fact one, in my opinion. All right, number two, here's the second thing we learn. We live in a world that is controlled by God. Not just created by God. We live in a world that is controlled by God. Now, watch, watch how this unfolds. Genesis chapter 1 not only tells us that God created this world, Genesis 1 tells us that God controls this world. Let me show you how this works. In the very beginning, if you could go back to the very beginning of time, and by the way, scientists believe this is kind of what you had with the Big Bang. This is what existed. In the very beginning, here's what we're told in, in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So you go back to the very beginning, there's no life, there's no light, 
There's no food. There's no water. There's no animals. There's no planets. No plants. There's no humans. There's not even a sound. All is dark. All is silent. And then everything, everything changes with just three words. And God said. Everything changes. That phrase is used nine times in this chapter. And it's amazing what happens every time God opens his mouth. Every time God speaks, suns begin to shine. Moons begin to glow. Stars begin to twinkle. Rivers begin to flow. Plants begin to grow. Animals and humanity begin to live. And nothing happens. You read this in Genesis. Nothing happens unless God says it happens. He was in complete control, and the rest of the scriptural record tells us he is still in control. Now, here's, now this is going to be cool. I, I love this part of my message. I worked on this real hard, so kind of stay with me. So you only have two choices. Okay, I want to go back again. It's real simple. Either everything is here by pure chance, the luck of the draw, the roll of the dice, everything is, is here by pure chance, or it is here by divine choice. Or in other words, Everything is either here by random selection or everything is here by divine election. And that's why the first 10 words of this chapter, in fact, that's why Genesis chapter 1 is so very, very important. Because one of two things has to be true. Either we're here by the Lord or we're here by luck. And there are a lot of people out there, a lot of PhDs, there are a lot of supposedly wise people out there that are teaching their college students and high school students every day. It just luck. It just happened. Can't explain it, but we weren't here, and all of a sudden we are here. Now watch this. I love this part. Here is the problem. If everything is here by luck, we're out of luck. Because if God is not in control of everything, then in the end, no one now is really in control of anything. If God is not in control of everything, then in the end, it should say no one. No one is really in control of anything. Everything is just up to sheer luck. But when people use that phrase, and when people think that way, they don't even realize the hole they're digging, because therein lies another problem. Now, watch this. You say, well, I don't, see, I, I don't, let me just tell you this. If you really want to irritate me, I mean, you really want to get on my bad side, use the word luck around me. You just, you know, I, I, I just hate it. People, people get in an automobile accident, and they'll walk away. Boy, I was lucky. Or, I was so lucky that I married my wife. Or I'm just so lucky I got to go to college. Or I'm so lucky about this, and I'm so lucky about this. All right, let me just make this real simple so everybody can understand it. If there is a sovereign God, there's no such thing as luck. Got that? If there's a sovereign God, there is no such thing as luck. If there is such a thing as luck, there cannot be such a thing as God. I never thought about that. Well, the reason is very simple. If Genesis 1 is true, not only is there, a, is there a God, but there's a God that is sovereign. Because if God is not sovereign, he's not God. And if he's not God, he simply is not at all. If anything is up to chance, listen, if anything is up to chance, there's no chance there's a God. But if there is a God who is sovereign, there is no chance there's even a chance. Got it? If, if there's such a thing as chance, there's no chance there's a God. But if there's a God who is sovereign, there's no chance there's even a chance. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of losing you. Let me make it real simple. 
What we call chance or what we call luck is simply another way of referring to mathematical possibilities. That's all it is. Let me give you an example. Let's suppose you had a coin. Let's say you're, you're, you're on a hard floor and let's say you've got a quarter. And I say, okay, I want you to flip the coin. Flip it as many times as you want to. All right, let me ask a question. This is real easy to figure out. What, is the, what are the odds that you could flip that coin and it would land perfectly on its edge and stay there? What are the odds? Somebody tell me. That's real easy. Zero. Right? Zero percent. There is simply no chance that is going to have zero percent. All right? Now, what are the odds when you flip that coin? What are the odds it will turn up either heads or tails? What are the odds? One hundred percent. Right? It's going to be one or the other. Heads or tails. All right, now, let's do it again. What are the odds it's going to come up heads? 50-50. What are the odds it's going to come up tails? 50-50. All right, let me tell what you just described to me. What you described to me had nothing to do with luck. Nothing. Has nothing to do. It's all a matter of mathematical possibility. How do you think they make money off the lottery? How do you think that you, I mean, you know, this, they're not Santa Claus. It's not Christmas. They make a whole lot more, than they, more money than they give away in the lottery. Do you think there are a lot of people up there that come up with these lottery ideas and they're just saying, well, I just hope we get lucky and we don't give away more money than we make? No, they figured out the mathematical possibilities. How do you think insurance stays in business? You think they're just, well, maybe we'll get lucky and no, you know, only this many people will die of cancer. They don't know. They figured out the odds. They know what the mathematical possibility is. Now, in other words, what are the chances that chance can do anything? Not a chance. Not a chance. If there is a God, there's no chance that there's a chance. If you believe in a sovereign God, you cannot believe in arbitrary luck. So you can believe in one of, the, one of two things. You can believe in God or you can believe in luck. You can't believe in both. So you say, boy, I have been so lucky to make the money that I've made. You're not lucky. You're blessed. Man, I'm so glad I, 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 I survived that automobile accident. I'm so lucky. You weren't lucky. You were protected. Has nothing to do with luck. If there is God, there's no chance. There's a chance. Let me tell you why that's good news. That means dictators rule, but only with God's permission. That means that rain falls, but only because God controls the clouds. That means our lives is not in the hands of fate over which there is no control. Our lives are in the hands of a sovereign God who's in control of everything. And nothing happens unless God calls it or God allows it. God is in control of everything. And that tells me, therefore, if God is in control of everything, there must be a plan behind everything. There must be a purpose to every life. I mean, just take common sense. Common sense tells you every building has a builder. Every structure has an architect. Every arrangement has a plan. Every plan has a designer. Every design has a purpose, and that's true of this world. And that's true of the world you live in. And it's true of the you that lives in this world. You were put here. You were created. You were built. You were divinely designed. There's a plan for your life. There's a purpose behind your life. There's a reason why you're here. We're going to talk about this later in this series about why am I here, what's my purpose, what's my meaning, and so forth. Here's the point, what I'm trying to get you to understand this morning. We don't have to be stumped about who we are and how we got here. We are a creation of God. We live under His sovereign control. We live under His divine power. 
This God has a purpose for me. This God has a purpose for you. This God has a plan for my life. This God has a plan for your life. This God has a plan for the world that we live in. And if there is a God, there's no chance there's even a chance. See? So, we live in a world created by God. That's fact one. Fact two, we live in a world controlled by God. Now, here's the last thing I want you to see. This is, this is my favorite part. We live in a world where we can be connected to God. Now, there's one last thing that we need to consider about this world that we live in and, and those of us who live uh, in this world. And, and, by, and it's not what God says about the world. We kind of covered that. What really I want to call your attention to this morning in Genesis 1 is not what God says about the world. It's what God says about us. Now, here's what God says. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, a lot of people stop right there, but the next part may be even more important. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, we say, why is that such a big deal? Well, the best explanation of not only the world that we live in, but the people that live in it is found right here. Because listen to, what, listen to what this tells us if this is true. If we evolved from animals, which is what the consensus opinion is in academia is, we just evolved from animals. If we evolved from animals and we're nothing more than animals and we're slightly more complex than every other animal, then not only do we have to ask, so why did God give us dominion over the animals? But even more than that, to state the obvious, if I'm no more than just a little bit of a higher form than an animal and I evolved from the animals, why am I so different from animals? I have a, we have a, at home, we have a Boston Terrier. Her name is Pocky. Pocky rules the roost in our home. When Teresa's there, Pocky, she has the run of the, of the place, okay? It's totally unbiblical, but I want to have a happy marriage, right? <laughs> Pocky and I, I love that little dog. She loves me. We are vastly different, totally different. So, for example, why do I appreciate beauty in art and music and poetry, but Pocky doesn't seem to give a rip? Why, why do I care about what color the walls are painted? She doesn't. Why do I like certain kinds of music? She sleeps. Why, why, why do I like to go to museums or, or, or concerts? Why, why do I have a conscience and, and, I, and I feel guilty? I, I dropped a cookie on the floor the other day. Before I could eat it, she ate it. No guilt. No remorse. Big Cheshire smile on her face. Why? Why is it that animals kill and eat other animals, and sometimes even their young, well, I understand that sometimes, but no sense of remorse? Deep down, we know in our hearts that for humans to kill and eat other humans is wrong. And why do we even wonder and question about who we are and how we got here? She, that thought never crosses that dog's mind. Why do, we, why do we possess the ability to think things through? 
Why are there very small differences in degree of intelligence between animals, but there's this vast gulf of, uh, between the intelligence of a human and an animal? Or here's another example. Why do we train animals, but animals don't train us? You'll never go to the circus and see a tiger train the tamer. Why is that? Why, why is it that we are so different? Why are animals afraid of fire, but we use fire? Why do we read books, but animals don't? Why do we write love letters, but animals can't? Why? It's because of this one major difference. We were created in the image of God. We, we, not dogs, not cats, not monkeys, not elephants, not snails, not snakes. We were created in the image of God. And you know how I know that? Because deep down we love what God loves. Deep down we think because God thinks. Deep down we know there is a right and a wrong. And you know why deep down we know that? Because there's a God that has told us what is right. And there's a God that has told us what is wrong. And it's because we've been created in his image that we can know this God. We can have a personal relationship with this God. We can worship this God. We can glorify this God. We can obey this God. And we can be conformed to this God unlike any other animal on earth. We alone can connect to God in a real way. And you know why? It's because life did not come from non-life. Never has and never will. Life came from my life. And more specifically, the God who is eternal life created every one of us in this world with a heart to know Him and a mind to seek Him and a soul to worship Him. And by the way, that's why this God sent His Son Jesus Christ to die for us and to give us his life so that we could enjoy eternal life with him forever. And I don't know about you. I know there are those who say, well, that's just a religious crutch. If you want to lean on it, that's fine. I don't know there's those who say, well, you know, if that works for you, that's fine. It just doesn't work for me. That's fine. I just want to tell you, what gives my life joy Peace, meaning, comfort. The reason why I'm more excited about life today than I was when I was a kid. And the reason why, frankly, there are days I get excited about leaving this world and going to the next one. is because deep down in my heart, I have finally settled it. Why do I believe that this creator is the God of the Bible? Why do I believe that? Because not only does creation testify to a creator, but I believe both the creation and the Bible testifies to a loving creator who loved us so much, he became a part of his own creation. He loved people so much. He loves you and me so much. He became one of us. He came in the form of humanity. Walked as we walked, talked as we walked, ate as we ate, lived as we lived, sleep as we sleep. He did all of that. Why? Not just so he could live with us, but so he could die for us. So, so that he could take the one thing that will keep you and me from connecting to this God, which is our sin, and he could free us from that sin, forgive us of our sin. He could save us and give us the only life worth living, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. So let me just kind of wrap all this up.
If I were speaking today to a bunch of scientists and a bunch of PhDs from secular universities, they'd laugh me off stage. They'd shake their head. They'd close their notebook. They'd walk out with their nose stuck up in there and their elitist attitude, and they'd say, just another country bumpkin preacher from the South that doesn't know his business. And this would be my only response. The certain answer that God's Word gives me and the certain answer that God's Word gives us about who we are and how we got here, in my opinion, sure beats being stumped with the empty answers that those idiots have to offer. And I shouldn't call them idiots, they're morons. It's real simple. It's real simple. We're here by the Lord or we're here by luck. Either stuff just happens or what really happened was God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth and everything that's in it and created you and me in his image so we could know him and love him and serve him and obey him and worship him and live with him long after this life is over. To me, this is me. That's the answer that helps me go to sleep at night like a baby. That's the answer that makes me full of joy, gives me a joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's the answer that gives me a peace that passes all understanding. So I'll just simply share this with you today. In the beginning, God created the heavens and God created the earth. And in the beginning, God created that and put life on it so that that life could know him. The God of eternal life has given us earthly life so that we could receive eternal life and live with him forever. And that's why we call it not just good news, but the best news the human race will ever hear. Let's pray together.